Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Luke chapter 14 verses 1 to 24. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, He was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, Jesus said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets 
the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Okay, fantastic. Good morning, everyone. Good to be together again. It's been great already, hasn't it, so far? I love um, how God has been speaking through the worship, through numbers of different individuals amongst us. Uh, And uh, this isn't the point where uh, I get to kind of do the whole thing uh, from the front, but actually who we are to be as a community is one where um, we just get to listen to God speaking through all kinds of different ones of us. Um, And that's part of the beauty of what it is uh, to be church together. It's not one person uh, at the front on a spinny chair telling us how to do it. Um, The kingdom of God grows uh, by ordinary people, me and you and all of us, um, getting a sense of what God wants to say, getting this book open, Uh, and exploring what it is saying to us today, hearing from God, allowing the Spirit to move amongst us, uh, and telling it to one another. And that's how it it goes. Um, And uh, this morning, we're going to look at the question uh, of honor. Honor. And uh, last week, Adrian kicked off uh, our series, um, Meals with Jesus, exploring uh, a meal, uh, and asking you if you had a kind of dream dinner party of who you would invite, any three dinner guests from all of history uh, who you would invite. Uh, And today, um, we're going to look at a slightly different angle on that question, which is if you invited those guests, who would get the best seat in the house? Who gets the favorite armchair uh, and who's left on the footstool? Uh, So in Adrian's example last week, he would have at his dinner party Oprah Winfrey, Brother Lawrence, and Desmond Tutu. So which of those are you putting on the garden furniture? Uh, Which of them are you putting on the uh, office chair that you kind of dragged in from a different room? The passage that we've heard read out, I'd encourage you, uh, Luke chapter 14, if you've got a Bible with you, get it open, because there's a a lot in there, um, and we're going to kind of speed through it to get a sense of what uh, God is saying to us this morning. Because on the surface, it can sound like there's a whole bunch of different things going on in there, isn't it? There's a whole load of different conversations. Maybe like uh, if you came to my house for dinner, uh, you might find that a conversation we would have would go off in all kinds of different tangents. And this passage sounds a little bit like that. But really, all of the things that happen, all the things that Jesus talks about and shares about in that passage, uh, deal with the same theme in different ways. And that's the question of honor. And honor uh, is a word that some of us will have a different take on. In fact, depending on our age, our cultural background, our life experiences, our family upbringings, honor might be something that is high on our list of priorities, or it might be a word that we've barely given a second thought to, that feels perhaps a bit uh, old-fashioned and irrelevant to how we live today. Honor and dishonor might have been a stick used to beat us, It might be a throwback to an age of knights and castles. It might be a a meme from a Disney movie, which is going to appear somewhere that way, there. (laughs) But in the context uh, that Jesus was living in, in first century Palestine, honor was a big deal. 
It was a big deal. It was about how you saw your place in society, how others saw you, how you saw yourself. It was about the actions that you were expected to take and not take, and the actions that you could expect to receive or not receive. And some of us, myself included, might not use the language of honor so much, although there'll be many uh, within our society, within our city, who do. What it speaks to is more relevant than ever. We might not label it in quite the same way, but there are a thousand different uh, cultural cues, the nuances of our language, verbal, nonverbal communication, the way that we dress, the way that we eat, the way we drive, the way we greet one another, the way we celebrate and mourn. A thousand things that are as normal to us as breathing that are constantly revealing how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see others, how we're navigating those relationships, how we're seeking to live in our world and in our community and in ourselves. They're about honor. And at its heart, honor is about the question, who am I? Who am I? And how should I live? And because of that, it's at the core of what it is to live as a follower of Jesus in the world, someone who who sees the Jesus we've been singing about and says, yes, I want to live for you. I want to live for you in all the ways that we heard spoken about earlier on as the prophetic came through in my community and in my culture and in my unique context when I'm walking my dog, when I'm going to the shop, when I'm buying a cake. The decisions we make every single day about how we're going to relate to God how we're going to relate to ourselves and to others. And Jesus' invitation for us this morning is to come and receive the honor that he wants to give us. It's to receive honor, it's to enjoy that honor, and then it's to be those who go out and offer that honor to others. And first of all, our invitation is to receive honor. In that first section of the passage, we find Jesus having this interaction with the Pharisees, the Pharisees who thought they knew about honor. Who are they and how do they live? For them, it's really clear. You get honor by what you do. It's about your actions first and foremost, by living in the way that God has called his people to live. The trouble is, they've become so obsessed with the detail of what to do and not to do that they've missed the central point of everything that God was calling his people to throughout the story of the Hebrew scriptures. When confronted with a man in front of them who was suffering, they were so caught up in the question of, can we help him because it's the Sabbath, that they lost sight that before them stood one who was just like them, one who God was longing to meet with in that moment. And Eugene Peterson illustrates Um, The problem that they were facing with is this analogy. It's an analogy of a house that has a beautiful window which overlooks a magnificent view. That as you look out through this window, what you see is picture tranquil lakes, rolling hills, snow-capped mountains in the distance maybe. And imagine living in a place like that and several times a day just walking past the window and just suddenly being struck again by the wonder of everything that was before you. And then one afternoon, maybe you notice something on the glass. Maybe it's a leaf that's blown up there and gotten stuck, or some mud uh, that somehow has been splashed by a car passing by. And so you get out your bucket of water and a sponge and you clean it. 
And then on another day, some friends come to visit you at your house, and they too are struck by the awe and the wonder of the view. Um, but the problem is, uh, they get so close that all of a sudden there are finger marks all over your window, smudges on the glass, and they're hardly out of the door before you've got the bucket and the sponge out again, and you're cleaning it down. And all of a sudden, every speck of dust becomes an enemy to be defeated. And so to try and keep it clean, you accumulate ladders and buckets and sponges. You build scaffolding inside and out to make it possible for you to reach all of the different angles and the different corners. You fence it off so that nobody could come close. You stop inviting people over for dinner in case, you know, maybe they might bring children with them. Horror of horrors. <laughs> you have the cleanest window in the whole world. But before you realized it, you haven't been looking through that window for a long, long time. You can only see the next speck, the next smudge, the next spot on the glass. And that's what's happened to the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Somewhere along the line, what started out as a movement to enjoy the goodness of the law that God had given as a gift has become an obsession that crowds out everything else in a rule of uh, blaze of rules and regulations. They'd stop looking through the window. But the answer, as Jesus came to show, is not, okay, well, let's just brick the whole thing up then. It's to start looking through it again, to strip away all of the other stuff that we've surrounded ourselves with, that we've clouded our minds with, and to see and appreciate again the beauty of what God has freely given. And here before him at this meal is a man in need, a man created in the image of the Father, a man who is suffering. And Jesus' response shows us everything about the difference between himself and the Pharisees. For Jesus, honor isn't something that we take by our own actions. First of all, honor is something that we receive from God as a free gift. And that's what Jesus demonstrates to the man before him. Where the others in the room seek to distance themselves, he draws close. He brings healing and wholeness and honor. He treats the man not as an unfortunate sideshow, but as a valued brother, someone made in the image of God, someone with an inherent dignity because of who they've been made to be who honor is given to before he can do anything to earn it, in spite of anything he might have done before he walked into the room. It's freely given. Honor for Jesus doesn't come from working something up within us, but from receiving what's already been given. It's the same for us. This is what Jesus wants to bring us to an understanding of today. An honor that brings welcome and belonging. That's what's on offer for us today, knowing that we aren't excluded. We're not left on the outside looking in, but we're invited into the very heart of the God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, loving one another since before the creation of the world. That's what we're invited into, a life of welcome and belonging. It's a life of value and identity, knowing that we have been chosen 
from before the creation of the world to be called God's children. We're not forced to to kind of scramble around in the dark hunting for some uh, mythical true identity that lives somewhere in here. I just need to dig deep enough to find it. No. Who we are, the value we have, the identity we get to live with comes from outside of us. Comes from one who has called us by name, who knows us more intimately than we know ourselves, who sees the very best and the very worst of us, and loves us with an unending, unfailing love. Jesus comes to offer us an honor that is wholeness and purpose. That we might know that whatever we've lived through, whatever we've done and whatever has been done to us, we get to be those who know peace. Peace we've already heard spoken about today. Peace in the midst of the storm that we know Jesus with us, promising never to leave or forsake us, sharing our burdens and calling us into the plans and purposes that he has for us, which are always life-giving and life-bringing. Who am I and how am I to live? You know, our culture is constantly asking those questions. But all the solutions come up with, come back to just drumming something up from within. It's what can I make of myself? Jesus shows us a different way. The invitation is not to be curved in on ourselves, but turned outwards to receive like a flower opening to the sun, that when we get the sight of Jesus, when we see again who he is, what he wants to do in our lives, we'll be those who come like this man, recognizing our brokenness, recognizing our need for him, our inability to do it all on our own, and receiving not a list of things to do, but a word of welcome and belonging, of value and identity, of wholeness and purpose. And so as the story unfolds throughout the chapter, we see more and more about what it is to live enjoying the life of honor that Jesus has given. In fact, that's what's behind his reflections on the dinnertime seating plan. Uh, A bunch of people living with the weight of having to strive for honor, of having to work and scheme for the best seat at the table because that's how the economy of the world works. You do what you can do to get to the top to get to the best seat. But Jesus isn't interested in that because he's coming from a completely different starting point, the starting point of the honor that we've received already and that we now get to enjoy. If you look down verses seven through 11, that's what he's talking about in those, that rather than scheming your way to the best seat, suffering the humiliation of being asked to move down like a, a distant table, a distant um, cousin who comes to a family wedding and decides, you know what, I'm going to sit next to the bride and groom today. <laughs> or like a university friend who kind of, you kind of had to invite because maybe they invited you to yours. And they thought, you know what, actually today, I'm going to sit at the top table. No, that's what Jesus says. Take the lowest place 
that the host might come and invite you up. And is this Jesus's top tip for getting the best seat at the table? Is this his uh, life hack for acing social situations? Is Jesus's main priority here to make us look really good in front of others? I don't think that's what's going on. It's all about living, knowing that we have nothing to prove. It's about living knowing that we don't have to strive or scheme to get ahead, but that what we've already received frees us from the need to prove ourselves. Prove ourselves to others, prove ourselves to ourselves, prove ourselves to God. The invitation is, again and again, day after day, to come and receive this honor that he wants to give to us, that causes us to live with humility rather than arrogance. So we can take the lowest seat. We can invite to dinner those who could never repay us. That's what he's saying in those uh, really punchy verses in 12 and 13. I don't know about you. When I read those for this first time, I thought, oh, man. Jesus wants me to stop inviting my friends for dinner. I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying not don't ever hang out with your friends, but don't be ruled by the tendency to give expecting to receive in turn, to always choose the comfortable option because that's what will help you get ahead in the ways of the world. Instead, we get to live as those who know we have nothing to prove who get to live generously, showing hospitality, living with open hands and open hearts, because we have a God who has been more abundantly open-handed and open-hearted towards us than we can ever dream of, and has released us to go and do likewise. And that brings us to the third and final part, an honor that we get to offer. And Jesus tells another story a story about a man throwing a banquet who invites a bunch of people, but all of them, one after another, make excuses. Sorry, I can't come. I've just bought a field. I need to go and see it. Sorry, I can't come. I've just bought some new oxen, and I need to put them to work. Sorry, I can't come. I've just gotten married. So instead, the man invites anyone and everyone, and still there's room for more. And hearing that story in the context of all that we've been looking at so far, we've seen the way that Jesus invites us to receive the honor that God, against all odds, based on nothing that we've done, has lavished on us. The way that we now get to be those who live enjoying that honor, knowing we have nothing to prove. Now there's the invitation to live offering that honor to others. That out of everything we have received, we get to share. Then how we live towards others, knowing the honor we've received, we get to be those who aren't constantly assessing whether the person before us, the person in front of us, the person at the checkout line, the person we walk past on the street. We don't have to live constantly assessing whether we think they're worthy of honor. Instead, we get to be those who freely honor them without needing to evaluate their reputation or their 
appearance or their cultural background or their position in society, living not responding to somebody's honorableness as the world sees it, but bestowing honor upon them by the way that we live towards them. Living, treating others with the highest sense of honor in the same way that God has done for us, not because they've earned it, but that in our giving, in our serving, in our loving, they too might hear that call to receive, to enjoy, and to offer. And that's how the kingdom grows. That's how God's word is multiplied. It's doing what Jesus did. In our relationships with one another, Paul writes, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The challenge is to live as those throwing banquets, not those throwing excuses. And this is the part of the story that really gets me. The contrast between the host, who is lavish and kind and hospitable, the very picture of the father's generosity towards us, and the three who turned him down. And what I think is most striking about the three excuses they give is that none of them are bad things in and of themselves. It's not, I'm sorry, I can't come. I'm actually busy robbing a bank that day. It's people looking after their homes, looking after their livelihoods, looking after their relationships and families. But each of those people missed the feast. They missed out on the best thing because of the good thing. And they missed out not just on receiving, but enjoying and offering themselves. And I know that resonates with me. Because the things I enjoy doing, the freedoms I have, the relationships I value are all good things. They're all right in their right place. But sometimes the greatest challenge to living in the good of all that God has for me can be the good things that God has given to me. Sometimes, just like the Pharisees, I need to step back from the glass. I need to look through the window again to see and savor, to receive and enjoy and offer all that I am invited to. That as Jenna shared about, that doesn't compete with those other things, the pressures and the joys of life. But when we have a clear sight of Jesus, when we keep him front and center of all that we're doing, It underpins how we do everything else, living from a place of honor that we've received, the value and identity and purpose we get to live with knowing we have nothing to prove. Have I really gotten to grips with the honor that God has lavished upon me through Jesus by his Holy Spirit? Have I really allowed his unearned, un- merited, unwarranted grace to transform everything about who I am and how I'm to live? Are there any ways that I'm living fruitlessly trying to get ahead in the ways of the world rather than enjoying all that I've been given? 
Is there any area of my life, even those that are good and right, that has left me making excuses to not share in the banquet and offer it to others? Here's the crux. Do I really live knowing I have nothing to prove? And you know, I think if I get hold of that, if we get hold of that, it will radically transform who we are and how we live in the world. Do I live knowing I have nothing to prove? Nothing to prove. In a moment's time, I'd like to pray for us, and then we're going to close. We're going to leave it there for this morning. But that's the invitation I want to leave us with as we go out today to the hundreds of different contexts and situations that we each find ourselves into the thousands of different people that each of us are going to interact with. This week, we could get to be those who live knowing we have nothing to prove that we have received all that we need to live with abundant generosity towards others. That's who we get to be. That's who we get to go out and be. That's those scattered into the world, transforming lives by the power of the Spirit within us. Uh, if you are able, I'd love us to stand together. If you feel this morning like you need to know uh, a fresh sight of Jesus again, you need to know the fresh truth that you get to be someone who lives knowing you have nothing to prove. Let me just hold your hands out in front of you, just in the quiet and the stillness of this moment. Allow God to come. He's here, he's been moving amongst us. He's been working already. He's been speaking. The invitation we get in this moment to come and receive all that he has for us, abundant life, identity and purpose and value and welcome and wholeness, all his goodness poured out upon us and we get to receive and live in the good of that. Jesus, I thank you. Who you are and what you've done changes everything. I thank you, Jesus, that you are one who came and lived on this earth, knowing and revealing completely what it is to live, knowing we have nothing to prove. Thank you, Jesus, that at your baptism, the voice of the Father spoke for the crowd to hear and said, this is my son whom I love. This is my beloved one. Before he's done anything, before he'd preached any sermons, before he'd healed any of the sick, before he had given himself to die on a cross, to lie in a tomb, to rise again, to be exalted to the highest place, God's word to him was, this is my son who I love. In him I am well pleased. That's God's word to us this morning. You are my child, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased.
in whom I am well pleased. Lord, help us this week to be those who receive that, who know it deep in the core of who we are and who live out of the goodness of it. In Jesus' name, amen.